Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So we are going to be in Psalm 92 this morning, a psalm of thanksgiving, a a psalm of of praise. And, you know, in this life, there are a, a lot of things that are good for us to do. It's good for us to exercise. It's good for us to eat well. It's good for us to get plenty of sleep at night. It's good for us to be wise with our money. It's good for us to be kind to each other. But the greatest thing, man, what's better than all of those things, as we read through Psalm 92, it says that it's good to thank the Lord. It's good to praise the Lord. Man, man, it's it's what we were created to do, to praise the Lord. It's good for us to praise the Lord. It's good for us to be thankful for the Lord. Uh, You know, there was an old timer that I used to work with. And he used to say, do something good today. That's what we'd tell everybody. That was like his thing. Do something good today. And what he meant by that was make your day count. Do something worthwhile. Do, do something of, of value. Make your, your life count. And the, the greatest thing that we can do as human beings to make our lives count is to be thankful and to praise the Lord. And that's what Psalm 92 really is all about. It's about thanksgiving, being thankful. It's about being grateful. And it's about praising the Lord. And so... Uh, Psalm 92 is a, a psalm that is uh, written for the Sabbath day. It, it, it's it's, it's uh, the day of, of rest. It's a day that is set aside for the worship, for the praise of God. Uh, on the uh, every day in Jewish culture, looking just kind of at their history, they would uh, offer up sacrifices every morning and, and every evening. They would offer up a lamb. But on the Sabbath, they would offer up two sacrifices in the morning and two sacrifices. There's like this double blessing. They're saying, Lord, uh, we're going to rest in you. We are going to be grateful to who you are in our lives, and we're going to worship you. That's what the Sabbath day was all about. Now, today, we're gathered together. We're doing church. Are we celebrating the Sabbath? We're not. Uh, that was yesterday. Yesterday was the Sabbath. To, Today is, is Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Sabbath is the last day of the week. So, so what is it that we're doing? It's the same spirit, right? We've come together to remember, to rest in the Lord, to uh, appreciate and to praise the Lord. Uh, but it, it's not the Sabbath day. So why don't we worship on the Sabbath day? Why are we worshiping on Sunday instead of, of, of on Saturday, the Sabbath? It's because what happened on Sunday? Jesus rose from the grave. Two of you guys knew. We got some work to do. <laughs> so Jesus rose from the grave. And that's why we're here doing what we're doing this morning. Is because we're remembering that Jesus conquered sin and death on Sunday. He rose from the grave. And so we gather together to celebrate. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because there are those that would say, hey, you can only worship God on the Sabbath day. Anything outside of that is sinful. But here's the thing. Paul addresses that. Uh, in the Bible, he says, don't let anybody lay a trip on you about what you eat, drink, uh, about the Sabbath day, about new moon festivals, or about the feasts. Uh, in, in other words, it doesn't matter what day you do it as long as you do it. So we're kind of, uh, you know, we're worshiping uh, kind of, we're doing the same thing that they did on Sabbath to a certain degree. But it's not this law that hangs over us or it's this beautiful thing where we get to say, Lord, this day is set aside 
to worship you, to rest in you, to grow in you, uh, and to, to praise you, which is what this psalm is all about. And so uh, this is a Sabbath day psalm, uh, a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And so verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. And so Psalm 92 opens up with the statement that it's good to praise the Lord. It's right for us to praise the Lord. Um, And what do we praise the Lord for? Uh, why should we give thanks to the Lord? That's the first thing. It's good to, to give thanks to the Lord. And we're going to see that, that thanksgiving and praise are inexplicably linked. And so the psalmist first says, it's good to give thanks unto the Lord. What do we thank the Lord for? When we thank the Lord for his mercy, we thank the Lord for his grace, we thank the Lord for the many blessings that he has bestowed upon us. And did you guys wake up in a house this morning? Did you drive here in a car? Did you have all the creature comforts of home? We, we are so blessed. You know, have you ever woke up without coffee? You're like, oh man, I'm out of coffee. Like your whole morning is ruined because you don't have coffee. We are so blessed. We have so much to, to thank the Lord for. And at the top of that list really is what Christ has done for us. Gratitude and praise, they go together hand in hand. Uh, when we praise the Lord, we're expressing our gratitude towards him. Uh, That's what it is. Praise comes from a grateful heart. And those two things, they're linked. We we can't praise the Lord genuinely without first being filled with gratitude. And oftentimes, uh, you know, we have problems with praise because we have problems with gratitude. We've forgotten just how good the Lord is to us, and we find it hard to praise him. Uh, remember, the next time you're, you're having a hard time praising the Lord, remember, man, uh, what he's done for you. Uh, because uh, he's done so much for us. Going back to, to why we're thankful, uh, can you imagine if, if somebody came to you and said, you know what, uh, the Lord just put it on my heart, and, and I just feel like I need to uh, pay off your student loan or I'm going to pay off your mortgage, or I'm going to pay off uh, your car, or I'm going to pay all all your credit card debt. You'd be like, what? I'd be so blown away. You'd be so grateful. But what the Lord has done for us is exponentially greater than if someone were to pay off your mortgage or pay for your car. The debt that he has paid is the sin debt that we owe. Man, God has done some amazing things for us. We ought to uh, be thankful, and from thankfulness, flows uh, praise. And really, uh, you know, praise is good for us. God doesn't need our praise. And that's the thing that we have to understand is that, you know, when the psalmist says it's good to praise the Lord, it's not because God is, you know, uh, emotionally insecure or in desperate need of of affirmation or, you know, he's insecure about who he is. No, we're the ones who need to praise the Lord. Uh, if humanity just said, you know what, if, if all God's children said we're not going to praise God anymore, you know what would happen? The Bible says the rocks would cry out and the mountains would shout. Uh, what an embarrassing place that would be for us. Man, talk about being a slacker on the job. What a bummer. But God doesn't need our, our praise. We need 
to worship him. We were created to worship him. Do you know that? That we were created as human beings to worship our creator. Uh, in Revelation 4.11 and also in Philippians 2.13, it says that we were created for his good pleasure. We were made to bring him praise and, and, and worship and joy. And do you know what happens when we don't praise the true and living God as human beings, as mankind? That need to worship something doesn't go away. It's not absolved just because we don't worship the true and living God. Instead, that still burns within our soul that we need to worship something. And so we take that worship that belongs to the Lord and we put it towards other things. And you take a look at our culture and our society and you say, man, what's going on? How could we be in this place? It's because we have taken our need to worship and instead of applying it to our maker, we have begun to worship uh, the creation. That's what it tells us in Romans 1. Romans 1, beginning Romans 21, it says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor, body, dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what we see play out because we have that natural inclination that's built into us to worship God. And we don't worship God and we still have that burning desire to worship something. And so what do we worship? Oh, we worship sexuality, this weird sexual revolution that, that we're currently engaged in in our culture where we are praising the most obscure and detestable acts where somehow it's okay socially to say we're going to allow doctors to mutilate our children for the sake of them identifying as uh, the opposite sex. That is bonkers, you guys. But that's that way because we worship sexuality. We worship sexuality. You know that pornography is one of the biggest industries in the world? Right? So we can't sit here as Christians and say, oh yeah, man, the LGBTQ crew that we're, and we shouldn't be against them, first of all. We should be praying for them and, and desiring for them to get saved. But, but this whole entire thing, we worship sexuality. Uh, what about nature? Man, we worship at the altar of, of Mother Earth. This whole crazy thing that we are involved in. Man, climate alarmists have been around for the last 50 years, and it has changed over and over. You guys remember? I don't remember the 60s, but you can go back and you can look at history. I wasn't alive in the 60s. Uh, but you can go in, in the 60s. There was this huge thing. Man, we're going to run out of fossil fuels in the next 10 years. It's going to be this devastating thing. We're not going to be able to produce crops. We're not going to be able to, in 10 years, doomsday. And what happened? I just filled up yesterday. It was pumping just fine. We didn't run out of fossil fuels. And then after that, what was it? It was going to be an ice age in the 70s. Boy, they were article after article, scientist after scientist. We got 10 years, and it's going to be a new ice age. And in the 80s, it was acid rain. I remember as a kid, I was freaked out about acid. I was eating snow. I was just chomping down. And some came out, slapped the snow out of me. Don't you know about acid rain? Oh, what? And you guys know I was a hypochondriac when I was a kid. So just add that to the list. I'm like, I think I feel my esophagus burning. <laughs> but guess what happened? Acid rain just went away. And then in the 90s, it was a hole in the ozone layer. Remember, you couldn't really buy spray paint anymore. It's like, no, oh, you're killing the planet. Oh, okay. 
we're still here. 2000s, it was global warming. Now it's climate change. It's just, and that's what I mean. The alarm, it's, why? Because we worship the creation as opposed to the creator. When we misplace our worship, we still have that desire ingrained into who we are because we're created in God's image to worship him. So, so that's what we see going on in our culture. But here's the thing. When we walk in that, when we walk according to the way that God has made us, when we give him the worship that he's uh, due, guess what? We're blessed. He blesses our socks off. When we praise the Lord, man, there is just a joy and a peace that comes along with that. When we praise the Lord, uh, there is freedom in our lives that we experience. There's victory. Uh, Think about Paul and Silas. Remember there in Acts 16? They're, they're, They're chained to the guards. They're in prison. And what are they doing? And they're singing praises, and I bet you they were getting down. I just know that they were singing some joyful hymns. And what happened? The chains fell off, the prison doors opened, and they were free. And there's so many things in our lives that bind us up and hold us back. If we just worship the Lord like we ought to, we'd be freed up from them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, boy, there's the, the story of, uh, was it Jehoiakim? Jehoshaphat. And he was the king. And he was going out to battle against the Moabites. But they put the worship team out in front. And guess what? They, they experienced great victory. Man, we can experience such great victory in our own lives over those things that are messing us up. Depression, whatever it is. Man, there is a unique blessing tied to worshiping the Lord because it's what we are, it's what we are intended to do. You can take a butter knife And you can use it as a pry bar. And it'll kind of work, but not really. It'll bend it up. Uh, You take a pry bar, and you can try to use it as a butter knife and spread butter. It would probably work, actually. But not as good as a butter knife. When we walk in the thing that we're created to do, there's just this sense of rightness. And we were created to worship the Lord. And so when we do, man, there's joy, there's peace, there's freedom, and there's victory. Because the Lord, he really has given us so much. There's so much that we can be uh, glad for. There's so much that we can uh, be thankful for. And we can't really offer up sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament. right? Anybody offered the Lord a lamb this morning before they came to church? No hands? Yeah, I didn't think so. It's because we don't do that. But we can, again, offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And we can offer up uh, our own lives as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Uh, it's what we ought to do, to offer up praise unto the Lord. And so when we do, blessing. When we don't, there's just a lack. There's something uh, that is missing. We miss out when we choose not to. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, man, you've been so good to me. Uh, How could I not really praise you? And then so he says, it's good to be thankful. It's good to praise. Again, inexplicably linked. If you're having trouble praising, man, maybe you're not walking in, in, in gratitude. Uh, but it's good to praise. It's good to be thankful. When? He goes on to tell us. In the morning. In the evening. Uh, in the morning, uh, we are to remember his loving kindness. Uh, declare his loving, loving kindness in the morning. In the evening, his faithfulness every night. So in the morning, every morning, before you start your day, you can say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to remember who you are. I'm going to remember what you've done. I'm going to thank you for this day. I'm going to thank you for my life. I'm going to thank you for my kids and for my family and for my ministry. Lord, for my health. I'm going to thank you for your love for me. 
His loving kindness that we're to declare, it was expressed on the cross of Calvary. He loved us so much that he died for us. And to declare his loving kindness really means uh, to remind ourselves what he has done for us. As you proclaim something, you remember it. And so we can say, Lord, man, I'm yours. I remember what you did for me. I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm a child of God. I'm saved and set free. I'm no longer bound to sin, but I'm saved uh, because of your goodness. I'm I'm, I'm a slave to righteousness now, Uh, no longer headed for destruction, but bound for glory. And we can start every morning by saying, Lord, I'm so grateful for all these things, all the blessings that he's given us. In the evening, we can thank the Lord for his faithfulness. What does his faithfulness mean? It means that he's seen us through. Man, I don't know about you guys, but at the end of the day, I'm so grateful that the Lord is faithful. Lord, I blew it so many times. But Lord, you're faithful. You saw me through. Lord, Lord I, man, I'll tell you something. It is not easy to get a guy like me through to the end of the day. But the Lord is faithful in doing it. And if he can get me through, he can get you through. And it's good for us to remember that. All those uh, things where I, I blew it, man, faithful, forgiven. And all of the areas that we don't even know that he kept us from destruction because he's faithful. Uh, it's good to remember God's faithfulness. We can recount those things in the evening. And so we're to be thankful. We're to praise the Lord. When? In the morning, in the evening. How? Verse 3 tells us how. We're to do it on stringed instruments. I like this part. This is cool. Uh, on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sound. Man, we are to praise the Lord with, with instruments, uh, with stringed instruments, with guitars and, and with pianos and, and with drums and all the rest. And I know drums don't have strings, but we're, we're to praise the Lord with all those uh, instruments. Um, but there are those who believe within the church, there are different groups that say, hey, you know what? We're not to, to use instruments in worship. We're not to, to use guitars and, and, and all the rest. You say, man, you must not have gotten to, to Psalm 92 <laughs> because Psalm 92 is, is pretty clear. Uh, but they would say, you know, there, there's no uh, example in the New Testament of, of worship taking place with music, um, and it is not uh, expressly commanded. And I would say, well, it's not expressly forbidden either. And, and you got to take the whole context. You have to take the whole counsel of God's word. And it was good to praise the Lord with instruments in the Old Testament. It's good to praise the Lord with instruments in the New Testament. Uh, you know, God is the same today, yesterday, and, and forever. Have you ever run into people, they say, you know, uh, man, uh, the God of the Old Testament, he's so angry and vengeful and destructive, and I like the God of the New Testament who's filled with grace and mercy. Same God. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's full of grace and mercy then, he's full of grace and mercy, mercy now, mercy, mercy now. He's full of wrath and he's full of wrath. He's, he's a just God, but he's the same. And so we can look and say, oh man, we should... We should uh, praise the Lord with music. And it's important for us to understand that because there are people who would say, you know what? We need to unhook the Old Testament from the New Testament. Just get rid of the Old Testament. That's antiquated. We don't need it. That's uh, archaic. But when we do that, well, you get in all sorts of trouble. Theologically, uh, you know, you can take the Bible and you can make it say anything you want if you want to nitpick it to death. But you take the whole counsel of God's word. And I'm so grateful that God is unchanging. His word is unchanging. In a world, man, where you don't know what truth is going to be tomorrow. You don't know what truth is going to be this afternoon. God's word, it doesn't change. And so it's good to praise the Lord. Uh, These people who believe this, man, they're Christians. They have solid doctrine. They really do. I don't get it. Um, So 
it's a good reminder that, hey, we operate in grace. We operate in mercy uh, towards one another. Um, but the Lord was worshipped with instruments. And, you know, there's something about music that just, like, moves your soul. And when you hear a certain, like, chorus or a, a melody or this hook, and it's just like, oh, man, that was so good. I don't know, maybe it's just me because I'm a musician, but I know that music, it just moves your soul. And that is a gift from God. God did that as a vehicle to move our souls to him, as a means to worship. That feeling that you get when you're hearing just a great song, that was meant to move us to the Lord, to worship the Lord. Here's the thing, though. We have a real enemy, and his name is Satan. And do you know what Satan's job was in heaven? He's a worship leader. I mean, there's some debate about that, but check out Ezekiel 28, and that's kind of what it would imply. And he rebelled against God, and he took a third of the angels, and they were cast out of heaven. Still a worship guy. Still a music guy. The thing about Satan is he hates your soul. He wants to see you destroyed. He wants to see you suffer for all of eternity. And so he takes and he uses music. And music can move your soul towards God, but here's the thing. Music can move your soul away from the Lord, too. And so be careful about the music that you listen to. And I'm not going to be hypocritical and stand up here and tell you that you should never listen to secular music. That's between you and the Lord. And all things are lawful, but remember, all things are not beneficial. Uh, be careful. Garbage in, garbage out. That's a reality. And, and when I find myself listening to secular music, sometimes I'm like, oh, I see why. And you know that there are songs that you love, and the lyrics don't line up with your faith. The other day, man, I was rocking out. Sweet Home Alabama. We were, boom, cranking. The boy was in the background, like solo going. I was in the back getting something out of the car. And then as I'm singing along, I have memorized the part of the song where he takes the Lord's name in vain. So I'm like, oh, stop, stop, stop. Casey, hit the button. Stop, stop the music. Because I know, oh, man, why am I? And it's just that thing. It's lawful. It's not beneficial. Is that what I want to? So be careful. Music has the ability to move your soul towards God, and it has the ability to move your soul away from the Lord. So uh, we're, we're thankful. Thankfulness leads to praise in the morning, in the evening, with instruments. Uh, verse 4 uh, talks about how we've been made glad in the Lord through the works uh, that we triumph in the work of his hands. I love that phrase, that we triumph in the work of God's hands. Think about the hands of God. What, what's, what's special about the hands of God? That they were nailed to a Roman cross for us. And in that, we triumph. See, Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for our sins. The greatest transaction known in all of humanity, where God himself gave his own life as a sacrifice for us to pay the sin debt that we accrued, the sin debt that we couldn't afford to pay. He took our sin upon himself, gave us his righteousness in return. There on the cross, one of the last things Jesus said was, it is finished. Te telestai means paid in full. It's an accounting term. Uh, it, that, that debt is settled. So when the psalmist says, man, oh, I triumph in the work of your hands, O oh Lord. Think about that. Man, because God was nailed to a cross because he died and rose again. And we have victory over the grave. And that is an amazing truth that we can walk in, that the psalmist is just saying, man, what a glorious thing. He triumphed over death. He rose again, and so we will rise again too. So, man, thankfulness leads to praise in the morning, in the evening, with instruments. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. Verse 5. O Lord, 
How great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this, when the wicked spring up like grass and when all the workers of iniquity flourish. It is that they may be destroyed forever. And so after proclaiming just the Lord's goodness, uh, the psalmist gets into the, the reality of the deepness of God's thinking, of his thoughts. Isaiah 55, God speaking, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, you know, we have become so smug as humans. We've become so wise in our own eyes. Uh, in our pursuit of wisdom as we reject God. Man, it's foolishness. We become senseless and foolish. That's what the scriptures tell us here in this psalm. Uh, Last week, we kind of talked about just the futility and the brevity and the fragility of life and how we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We're a blip. We're not even a blip on the radar. Man, we are, it's so fast. And yet we feel as humans as though we've got the market cornered on knowledge and wisdom, even when it comes to God. As a collective group, we shake our fist as our creator, uh, by and large, currently. But here's the thing. And we're here today and gone tomorrow. Grass springs up and then it's gone. But in contrast to the wicked, verse 8 says that God is eternal. But you, O Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, uh, For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. See, the Lord uh, is not here today and gone tomorrow. The Lord is forever. He is on high forever. There is no enemy that can stand against God. There's no enemy that will ever be able to defeat God. No foe will ever prevail. And that's so important for us to remember. Because sometimes we think about this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, as kind of like opposite and equal. Like there's God on one side, and then there's Satan on the other, and they're just battling out. But that's not the way that it is. Satan is like way, way, way down there. And God is way, way, God created Satan. There is no battle to be had. It's like when my five-year-old tries to beat me up. It's like, there's just no battle there. That's just the way it is. As a general rule of thumb, boys, you will never be able to beat up your dad. That's just the way that it goes. Just understand that now. Even when he's old, he'll still be able to whoop you. Just keep that in mind. But this battle between good and evil. Right? Uh, my son is into the Force, or not into the Force, he's into the uh, Star Wars right now. He's just like discovering Star Wars. He's, he's actually a Jedi. He's into the Force. You should see him eat breakfast. No, but he's just discovering this whole thing, like this battle of good and evil, and he's like, wait a second, Anakin becomes Darth Vader, and, and why? He's like, wants to know all the deep questions, like what's going on in Anakin's heart, like morally, why he joined the dark side. We're trying to explain, and there really is kind of this co- co- correlation. But you got to understand in the movies, it pitches it as equal and opposite, and that's not the way it is. Someday, with a word, God is going to wipe out Jesus. He's going to destroy everybody that stands against him in a second. So why do we care? Because we want to be on the right team. We want to be on the team that's Team Jesus, not Team World, right? And so... Uh, the psalmist here, he, he, he makes it clear, Lord, you're powerful. No one can, can stand against you. And uh, the thing that we have to remember is, again, that Satan is trying to take us out. That he knows the end. He knows he's going to get defeated. And so why, does, why doesn't he just surrender? Why does he just, because he's full of pride. 
And he wants to take as many people down with him as he can before he gets taken down himself. One of my favorite pastors calls it poolside theology. And everybody knows what it's like to be hanging around the pool with your buddies when you're a teenager, or even a grown man, to be honest with you. You're hanging out around the pool, and they know you don't like to get in the pool. And what are they going to do? They're going to push you in the pool. But what are you going to do? Well, you're grabbing ears and eyelids and ankle. I mean, if you're going down, they're going down with you. And that's what Satan tries to do with us. He knows he's going down. But be on the, on the winning team uh, really is the idea. Verse 10, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I've been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has, uh, my eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. So, so what's being said here? My horn you have exalted like a wild ox. It's not a phrase that we use. Anybody use that phrase this week? Lord, my horn you've exalted like a wild ox. We don't say that sort of stuff. But what it means is really the idea is a horn for an ox or for any animal. It's a picture of their, their strength. And so what the psalmist is saying is like, Lord, you are the one who strengthens me. My strength belongs to you. It was a symbol of strength for the animal. And we're saying, Lord, my strength comes from you. But this idea of being anointed with oil. Now, there's those that, that kind of really get into the imagery of this psalm. And they say, uh, well, you know, the Lord exalts my horn. Uh, and then he anoints me with oil, like this is the picture of, of the, the horns being rubbed down with oil so they're shiny and glistening. I don't know about that. I mean, maybe historically it's true. But to be anointed with oil, what, what is the oil a picture of in Scripture, generally speaking? The Holy Spirit. And, and, and what did they use the oil for? To, to take things, to, to separate them, to be anointed, to be set aside for the Lord. They would take all the implements uh, that were to be used in the temple and they would anoint them for the Lord. They would be set aside. The priests, before they entered into their priestly duty, they would be anointed with oil because they were set aside for the Lord. We have been given the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks, uh, it likens the oil to the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? It convicts the world of sin. Boy, he teaches, he guides, he directs, uh, he comforts. But we're marked by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit indwells us, and that's the mark, that's the sign that we belong to the Lord. We are set aside. And so what a beautiful picture we have in this being anointed of oil. We've been given uh, the Holy Spirit as a mark that we belong to the Lord. Um, And then the psalmist ends that little section, that verse, by talking about his enemies being defeated. And our enemy, Satan, truly has been defeated uh, forever. And in these last few verses, uh, verse 12 through 15, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be uh, fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is none, or there's no unrighteousness, pardon me, in him. So in scripture, uh, believers are often likened to trees. In uh, Psalms 1, it says that, he, speaking of uh, a believer, he shall be uh, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Uh, in Psalm 52, it says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. In Hosea 14, 6, it says, His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. 
And so this idea that the psalmist would compare us to, to trees, to, to the, the palm tree and to the cedar tree, is to say that, that we would uh, flourish, that we would be fruitful, and that we would be useful, that we would stand strong. And the psalmist uses the example of two specific trees. So it's the palm tree and the cedar tree. Now, these aren't trees that are picked out of thin air just at random. But these are trees that are used specifically. So the palm tree has some properties that are very interesting. So there's over 2,800 known species of palm tree. And they are one of the most useful trees on the planet, from bearing fruit to producing oil to building products to, uh, you know, rope to uh, wine to, to food. I mean, they are crazy. And so the idea is that we would, when we are planted in the house of the Lord, that we as believers, that we would be fruitful, that we would be useful. Uh, the cedar tree, big old honking tree, the cedars of, of Lebanon, uh, the, the, the symbol of immovability, the symbol of, of strength. Uh, a cedar of Lebanon grows to about 130 feet tall and is 40 feet in circumference. That's a big, fat tree. Uh, the closest thing that we have are the, the coastal redwoods, uh, the giant sequoias. Uh, the tallest redwood tree is Hyperion. It's 375 feet tall. Man, that's huge. The biggest tree, though, in, in just mass is General Sherman. And that tree is 275 feet tall, but it is 39 feet, 36 feet. 36 feet at the base. That is a huge tree. I, I go woodcutting with a guy named Steve, and, and he cuts down some of the biggest cedar trees that I've ever seen. Like These bad boys are like four or five, six feet on the stumps. Of them. I mean, they might not be that big. They're huge, though. They, they freak me out. 40 feet? That is a huge tree. You're not moving a 40-foot tree. And when we are planted in the house of the Lord, that is to say when we're near to him, when we're surrendered to him, when we're walking closely in fellowship, rooted in him, we flourish. In seasons of dryness, we bear fruit, blessing others and the Lord. Uh, we're useful. We're used by the Lord. And we stand strong. We're immovable. It doesn't matter the storms that come. It doesn't matter the pressure that comes from the world to, to try to make us waver. Man, the coolest thing about this promise, it says, even in your old age. Even in your old age, you'll be full of sap. You'll be fat. You'll be, you'll be fruitful. I, right? It says, I mean, depending on you, you'll be fat and full of sap. I, I take that literally. I'm like, all right, that's a blessing in my old age. But our bodies, they'll fail us. That's just the reality. There's nothing that we can do about that. But we can stay uh, fruitful. And uh, we can be encouraging and full of life still. That's a promise from the Bible. And I got to tell you, there are so many people in our congregation who are older in age, but just full of love and grace and mercy and encouragement. They're not bitter. They're not grumpy. They're not cranky. It's because they dwell in, in the house of the Lord. And, and they're bearing fruit. And, and they're planted firmly. And, I gotta say, and, and I'm not just saying that. I appreciate it uh, immensely. And I look forward to, to doing that in my own life should the Lord tarry. Uh, but this is a cool picture that when we're planted in the house of the Lord, man, uh, we're filled with uh, fruitfulness and usefulness, love, vitality, and uh, strength. Uh, and as a result, the psalmist ends and says, uh, makes this declaration that the Lord is their rock. The Lord is our firm foundation. We talked about uh, the Lord and the imagery of him being a rock, how Jesus is a rock. How it talks about 
Jesus is the foundation. If we build our lives on him when the storm comes, man, we weather the storm. But if we build our lives according to our own thing, man, it's like building your life on sand. We talked about how Jesus is the cornerstone, uh, the chief cornerstone, that stone that, that the rest of the building is aligned to, uh, the chief headstone, that thing that holds everything together. Man, Jesus is our everything. He's our, our rock, uh, our foundation, our stability, the thing we align our lives to, the thing that holds everything together. And so, really, as we finish up this psalm, the question is, uh, you know, what are you, where are you planted? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, that, that's a promise for them. Where are you planted? What are you rooted in? What is your foundation this morning? What is your life built upon? What is your life aligned to? What's holding your life together? And if your answer is anything but Jesus, the truth is it's temporary. It's fleeting. The psalmist said, man, the grass, it, the grass, it flourishes, but tomorrow it's gone. And when the grass flourishes, it flourishes. It does, but it's short. The palm is fruitful in contrast to the grass. It's fruitful and useful. The cedar is strong when our foundation uh, is the Lord. So important for us to remember. Now, what are we investing our lives in? What are we building our lives upon? What are we rooted into? Man, it's the Lord. So we ought to have hearts that are filled with gratitude and mouths that are filled with praise. Man, we ought to have lives that just point to the Lord where we experience joy and peace and freedom, forgiveness. It is good to be planted in the house of the Lord, to bear much fruit. It's a promise that we can walk in. But if you're not planted in the house of the Lord, man, I want to give you the, the, the official invitation. And this morning, be planted in the house of the Lord. This morning, and have your sins forgiven. And, you know, there's lots of people you know, who maybe hear this message, who maybe hear this message often, <clears throat> and they wrestle through this. You know, I don't understand. Uh, I know this, but there's, there's parts of it that I just don't get. And here's the thing. I want to encourage you in this, because Jesus, he, he talked about being born again. He talked about salvation with some of the religious leaders when he was on this earth. And there was a rich young ruler that came to him, and, and there was something that stood in between him and the Lord, and that was just stuff. There are things that stood in the way. And maybe there's things that are standing between you and the Lord this morning, and I would encourage you to lay those things down. But there was Nicodemus, and this is where I want to go with this, is Nicodemus, he said, how can a man find salvation? Uh, you know, how can a man have eternal life? And Jesus basically told me, he said, you, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. See, there was uh, this thing. Nicodemus knew all about religion. He knew all about the Bible. But he came to this place where he hit a wall. There, he couldn't understand any further until he was born again. And that's what happens to us. There's this place where we come to. You can know all about religion, but you won't know Jesus. You won't understand until you're born again, and that takes a step of faith. And so I want to encourage you, man, if you've been kicking the can down the road, if you've been wrestling through this in your life, man, let today be the day that you surrender and say, all right, I'm going to believe. Even as the Bible says, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him for the dead, then you'll be saved. Let today be the day that you put the weight of your life on that promise. Let today be the day that you build your life on the foundation of Jesus. Let today be the day where you're rooted in Christ and not rooted in the things of this world. Because the things of this world, again, will fail you. They're fleeting. But when we're rooted in the house of the Lord, man, we flourish and we're fruitful and we're useful and we're strong. 
And that's my prayer for us. And so even as the psalm said, man, it is good to be thankful. It is good to praise the Lord. Man, as we come to the table of communion this morning, what a better, there's not a better way to, to, to do that. To remember what God has done for us. To remember what Jesus has done for us practically. Lord, you've been so good. Thank you for what you've did. Thank you that, that, that we triumph because of the work of your hands. And communion is a picture of what Jesus did. It's a picture of that work. Those tangible elements that we can hold, we can take the cracker and say, I remember, Lord, that you were pinned to the cross in my place. Thank you. And have our hearts filled with praise. We can take the, the juice and as we drink it, we can say, Lord, I remember that your blood was shed for me that my sins might be forgiven. Full of gratitude and praise. And that's my prayer for us. That would be, even as the psalmist says, we'd be like, Palms and like cedars planted in the house of the Lord. So Lord, thank you again so much for your word towards us this morning that we can learn of you and grow in you. And I pray that we would be a people who aren't rooted or grounded or founded or aligned to the things of this world because they're passing away, they're fleeting. But I pray, Lord, that we would be rooted and grounded. That we'd be planted in the house of the Lord, close and near to you, Lord. And that we would experience the blessing that comes along with that. Lord, the fruitfulness and the usefulness. Lord, we love you. And uh, as we come to the table, we remember what you've done for us. And we, we're grateful and we're, uh, we're thankful. And, and Lord, we just lift up praises to you for that. And so, um, God, I pray that this just wouldn't be a, a religious exercise. That we wouldn't just kind of be going through the motions. But Lord, that we would take in the reality of what you've done as we take in the cracker and the juice. So we love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.